Welcome back to the Facts About PACS. I'm Michaela Isler, NAPACS Executive Director, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Adam Belmar. Great to be here with you, Michaela, on the number one PAC podcast in America. We have a terrific guest on the show today. Megan Evergam from the National Association of Home Builders is with us to talk about her program and the way BuildPAC is rallying its members in 2022. Adam, so many things to speak with Megan about. But before we get there, we have to focus on the NAP activities. Coming up on May 3rd, we're back in person for our first member lunch with special guest, Dave Wasserman from the Cook Political Report. Dave is going to bring everyone up to speed on the political landscape of the midterm elections. Register now and don't miss a minute. And coming up on Thursday, May 5th, for those of you out there in the audience who are not yet NAPAC members, here's your opportunity. Reach out. We've got a great spring reception for new members. It's a rooftop soiree with all the frills, and we hope that you could join us. Thanks, Adam. And things are really heating up over here. They are indeed, and the Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's NABPAC activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. Now we're joined by Megan Evergam, Vice President, Build PAC, Government Affairs at the National Association of Home Builders, and a former NABPAC board member. Welcome to the podcast, Megan. Thanks, Michaela. I'm thrilled to be here today with you and Adam. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, Megan, the home building industry remains very much in the thick of things these days. The industry is doing very well, but at the same time, dealing with tough issues like inflation, supply chain challenges, and labor shortages. From the Build Pack and Association perspective, how engaged are your members these days? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Our members, you know, have really never stopped working throughout all of the pandemic from from the very beginning. NHB, as well as some of the state associations, worked hard within our federation, worked hard to keep housing or keep construction open during the pandemic. So our builders have really never stopped building. You know, if we think back to March of 2020, everyone's home more than often. Our remodelers definitely got caught on a lot, quite a bit to change people's houses, do some upgrades, do some improvements, as well as um, more folks are moving to new houses. And so new construction, but now more than ever are feeling some of these issues that Michaela mentioned. But from an association standpoint, our members right now are engaging more. During the COVID, quote unquote, COVID days, when things were shut down and in-person events were not going on, I think it was hard to keep members engaged, whether it was at the association level or the PAC level, um, no matter what. And our members are, you know, typically a lot of our members aren't sitting in a desk and are, are able to just jump on a webinar. They prefer, you know, meeting in person, whether it's going to their local or state association or coming to some of our national meetings. So engagement has been a top priority since the beginning, as well as I'm sure NAPAC has felt the same way. How do you keep members engaged? And that has trickled down to the PAC side of things. It hasn't been easy, but I'm thrilled that we're back in person and doing things. I would say we're lucky enough that a lot of our members still see the importance of PAC throughout the last few years and have still given Some folks have stopped, but we've gotten them back and back in the fold for different reasons. So we're trying to innovate and try to keep people engaged, especially now that we're almost in the second half of the election year. It's the most important time to be raising money and getting our members out to vote and active in the election. So we're working hard. It's hard. Some of the issues that are going on right now at the home building industry, too, are more regulatory focused and less on 
on Capitol Hill. So trying to keep our members engaged across the board. We have our legislative conference coming up in June, and we're excited to get them here in D.C. to also remind them the importance of what's going on in Washington and how it impacts their businesses. You know, before we move on, Megan, the issues that Michaela talked about, inflation, supply chain, labor, everybody's reading headlines and we feel a little bit of it. But home builders really are right there trying to deliver on the promise to their clients and take the investments and put them in the places they're going to mean the most. How is that tending to give you opportunity to speak even more to policymakers as they're looking for guidance and understanding what's really going on in the ground? Sure, that's a great question. When we go into a Hill office or or at an event, um, it's obvious what our issues are, right? It's very tangible right now. Not all of our issues, you know, Waters of the U.S. is a regulatory issue, that explaining that to to staff on the Hill or members of Congress or, or lawmakers, it's not as relatable, but everybody can relate to these issues. So it's definitely makes it an easier sell. It's just trying to find the fix, right? Trying to trying to figure out how to bring these costs down and how to make housing more affordable for the consumer. It's a consumer issue as much as it is a home builder issue. Megan, the National Association of Home Builders, you know, like many other associations, wasn't able to hold an in-person conference in 2021, but you did pull it off in 2022. So tell us about that and your experience getting back to in-person, especially when it comes to fundraising. That's exactly right. And we were, I should take it back even one more year of 2020. Our big kind of keynote event is our International Builder Show, which we, it's it's part of Design and Construction Week, which is with the Kitchen and Bath Association. And it's one giant show. And we were lucky enough to have had our International Builder Show in January of 2020. So we were able to hold that in-person event prior to the pandemic really bringing things to a halt in the U.S. So we were lucky that we had that revenue opportunity, that networking opportunity from an association standpoint, as well as from a PAC standpoint. Um, So then we go, we fast forward to 2021 and we weren't like pretty much everybody else weren't able to have an in-person show. And it really, it was really tough. I think not only from a financial standpoint, that's where a lot of our association revenue comes from, like other associations, but from a networking standpoint, I mean, just that, that networking in person and to be able to see their peers and to see exhibitors really really was tough. And I think even from a, you know, from a staff perspective, it's hard to motivate, right? And when you see folks in, in person, you get energized. Um, and so I think that that was really tough, but we were thrilled to be back this year. We just had our international builder show in the, the beginning of February in Orlando, Florida. We were kind of unsure, you know, we were, we were feeling good going into it. And then with Omicron hitting um, and spreading all over the U.S. over the holidays, and we were kind of at the tail end of that We were nervous, but we had an amazing number of people, over 75,000 people attend our conference. And to kind of put that in perspective, we had 100,000 in 2020, but still, I mean, to have that many people in one place was awesome. And our feedback, and I felt it too, but feedback from our exhibitors and our members were people were more engaged than they were two years ago. It's the, you know, I think people are more excited to be back in person. You almost take things for granted. So you're at a conference and you you kind of multitask and you try to do stuff at home. But I think once we were hit with not being able to go to things in person that you then value being able to go in person more in the enthusiasm. Our show opens on a Tuesday and we did our pack events the night before because our leadership meetings start on Saturday. So on Monday night, 
And our one of our big high donor events had a had let's say it starts at seven thirty. By seven fifteen, there was a huge line around the block, and our events team said that it was an indicator of how well the show was going to do. A lot of people register for our show on site, so it's hard to tell. But I think that was an indicator that people were thrilled to be back in person. Also, for the listeners inside the Beltway. I think something that I've learned, a valuable lesson that actually can be taken outside of the COVID perspective, but when I used to talk to our builders, you know, over the last couple of years on COVID, and I would talk about social distancing when it came to our hospitality suites, or I would talk about not being in the office, I mean, our members just thought we were talking two different languages. They couldn't understand that we weren't back in our DC office. They couldn't understand why I was still talking about social distancing. So I think it was a valuable lesson, um, not only talking about COVID, but talking about the way I talk about DC and politics is I, I need to remind myself that this isn't their everyday job and lingo that I use inside the Beltway. I need to remember how to how to make it more relatable. I think that our, our builder show really taught us that the people are ready to be back in person. It was a tremendous opportunity for us to fundraise. We used to we we still do hold a lot of build pack events across the country at the local and state associations, but we really had it took a hiatus in 2020 and then. Um, 2021, we were down in our number of events for for good reason. And I think that it gave us more confidence being able to, to plan more events this year. You can dodge a missed call or a text message and a fundraising request or just um, in general as much as you want. We all do it. But once you see that person in person, you're like, oh, okay, wait a minute. I really should focus on this. This is an opportunity to, to focus. A lot of our, our, our pack is very grassroots driven, meaning that we have a large board of trustees that help us raise our money. They are our best advocates. They're amazing, but they also have been extremely busy through the pandemic. So our normal fundraisers that have more time to ask for solicitations and, and ex- the benefits of the pack have been just slammed and haven't been able to make calls. So having everybody in one place was a huge benefit to us. Megan, those numbers are incredible. I'm just curious how your event went compared to maybe two years prior. For our PAC events, were great. Our numbers were awesome. They were right on par with where we were. Um, and from a fundraising standpoint, our new high donors, so our cap club, or our max outs, we had 17 new cap club members joined. And I think that's the highest number I can remember in recent history. So it was awesome. Our hospitality suite was packed and um, actually had complaints it was too crowded, which I said, well, that's a good problem to have. So it was nice to nice to see that fundraising back up. I'm thinking for our audience, Megan, mm-hmm. uh, they're always great experience to get from people like you on this show. And you have that deep experience in fundraising. What advice could you share with the listeners about how you really get people to hear you these days? What are the tricks that you are using to help really break through the noise? What we're doing on our end, and, and you know, when I say it out loud, it seems pretty basic, but it actually isn't probably every, you know, you got to keep trying things. Um, one thing we're doing is is what NABPAC has done too, is this podcast. And we had started actually right, it's our communications team, I can't take credit, um, on our on our advocacy team, they um, started a podcast called Housing Developments. It's our CEO and our chief lobbyist, and they um, they do it every you know it's not every week, but almost. And it goes we're we're encouraging not our members, but also our donors because it's a great place. They talk about all things going on in the industry, but it really focuses on our advocacy efforts. Whether it's our economists talking, um, we've had guests from from the Hill, we've had um, election experts, we've had all kinds of different guests. Um, some of our advocacy amongst our members. But I think the podcast is a great way because I don't know about you all, but I get a zillion emails a day. And I think we all do. And I, I just took a few days off for the recent holiday and I came back and, you know, you try to keep up with it where you're off. 
But I can assure you that I deleted numerous newsletters and things that I should have read. But at the end of the day, you need to read the emails that you have to get back to. Not It's a luxury to be able to read all of the content that you get. And I, I feel that with NEHB is that we we get constantly our members saying, and I feel it on the pack, I didn't get that. I didn't read that. I didn't see that. I was never notified. Well, you were notified, but everybody, it's not anybody's fault. Um, so cutting through the clutter, the podcast helps because I think it's something that our members that are driving to the next job site or going to meet a client can throw it on in their car, or listen to it in the evening or whenever is convenient for them. And it's a great way to feel um, also hearing voices. I think like hearing our, our, our CEO and our chief lobbyist talk about the issues has more value than than reading it in a, in a blog post or an article that comes out of NEHB. So I think that that's been really successful. Um, and we advertise it, even though it's not a PAC-specific podcast, we advertise it in all of our PAC communications. I think something that we've tried to do, especially for our new, our new members, and then also our volunteer members that are helping us do things, not just opening up their wallets, which is very valuable, I think the the folks that take time out of their busy schedules to be our advocates and to and to raise money for us, we've gotten back to writing more and more handwritten thank you notes and using the mail more because I think emails get lost. We still, for our high donor events, we have two different high donor events, but um, it's a thousand dollars and then our max outs, anything above a thousand and then up to max outs. But we we still mail a hard invitation, and I have had to go to bat many times of why do we still have a printing budget? So you know to print to print these postcards, and I said because at the end of the day, people are going to throw that postcard on their refrigerator, or on their bulletin board, and look at it and see, wow, I'm a valued pack member. I got this invitation. It's just not another email. Don't get me wrong; you have to send a lot of email reminders to get people to RSVP for things. But I think that that. Um, that the handwritten notes or using just anything in the mail. Um, we still send a lot of renewal statements in the mail, which sounds crazy, but they might go online and donate, but at least they've gotten that that mailing. People don't, I know about myself, I don't get a lot of mail anymore. So when I do get mail, I pay attention more than I ever did in the past. So I think if you can find money in your budget to to do that, I think it's worth it. And then we actually had our our chairman this year when we were in Orlando fill out a bunch of handwritten note cards and we had our print shop help us. So it makes it look like they're getting a handwritten note from him every time. So we send it to all new donors and then as well as anybody that's had an event for us. And I've already received phone calls of people saying, wow, I got this note in the mail. Thanks so much. When it really is a thank you for them. But I think going back to that, I also think one thing that I learned in the pandemic is to slow down and take time which is hard when you have a long to-do list, but take time to make phone calls to your members, not to ask them for anything, but just to ask them how they're doing. Something that we did during the pandemic as a government affairs team, our boss um, really charged us with picking up the phone every day and calling folks and asking them how their day is, asking them how they're doing through COVID. Well, just because COVID's behind us for the most part, we shouldn't stop doing that. We should continue to do that without an ask, just asking them how they're doing. And I think that's something that just keeping people engaged and keeping our folks that advocate for us out in the rest of the country has been really helpful, really helpful to us. I love everything that you're saying, lessons that we've learned, and somehow we need to relearn them, right, Megan? I mean, the things that work and are working better now are the things we should stick with. You've got to be open-minded. So with that in mind, I want to ask you, when you're convening your PAC members in person and you talked about new people at new levels and this sort of generational change that we all see what kind of events are people looking for these days? What is that new generation of high donors and people who are really engaged with Build Pack? What do they want? 
Yeah. So just to kind of give a, a snapshot, um, Build Pack, we we were lucky enough to be uh, we're kind of a backwards pack in the sense that we were born out of when we were started in the 80s. A lot of a couple members giving maxing out to the pack. And so we've had a, a robust high donor program for a long time. Um, we also love to throw a party for them. So anybody, our max outs, we do two a year sit down dinners at two of our big conferences where they can bring a guest, which is either their spouse or a prospective donor, which we think is great to to let everybody bring a guest. And then we do, so that's for our, our $5,000 donors. And then we do a big party for anybody from a thousand to up to the max outs. And it's normally a three hour party with a band. It, for our members, they love to engage in person, right? As much as it is a thank you to them, an open bar is key. They want to be able to see their friends outside of outside of their committee meetings. They want to be able to socialize. They look at it as a great career opportunity to socialize with other people too. But something that we, I think it was the 15, 16 election cycle, we looked at our max out, which was we call our cap club. And we said, this is a great group of people, but give it 10 years, a lot are going to retire. You know, it's, you know, they've been in the industry a long time. How do we keep it? It's hard to get a lot of $20 contributions to add up to $5,000. That's a, that's a lot of $20 contributions. So how do we keep this cap club robust in the future? How do we get the next generation in? And so what we started in uh, 2015 was a half-price membership for our young professionals. So they give half the amount. They give $2,500 to the pack. And they can get all the quote unquote benefits. So they can come to the dinner. They can come to the hospitality suite that the max outs get. 45 is our young professional age. So we do 45 and under and you get it half price. And the thought behind it, and now we're actually finally seeing that it's working. Because in the first couple of years, I'm like, oh no, are they going to stay on? But the, the thought behind it was that when they turn 46, they'll say, wow, I've been part of this awesome group. I now understand the value of the pack even more than I did before. I can't give this up. I want to keep investing. I want to continue to be a part of this group. And so this is the first year that I felt that all of a sudden a couple of people have been turning 46 and they're like, I'm going to stay on. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to continue to give 5,000. So they're there. And we've had some folks, a lot of folks retire. So it's really helping fill that gap, which we're really excited about. It's nice to see it. And then I should say now we've had to look at that sit down dinner and we've heard feedback that they don't want to, you know, the next generation doesn't want to sit down. I know I feel that way. You, you go to an event and you see all these people and you want to, you, you want to be part of the fun party. And so now we've, we are pivoting for our, our events that we'll have in June and we're going to do more of a VIP feel and not a sit down dinner. You know, we'll do a sit down dinner once a year, but give the opportunity to mix and mingle and we'll definitely give them VIP parts of the event but not to have to be seated next to somebody for three hours because that's not what they want. So we're trying to really listen to the next generation and pivot the way we've thanked thanked our donors, but we're excited about it. And I, I'm lucky enough right now, I have a leadership that of our PAC board that really want to try new things. They want to keep the younger generation involved and, and engaged. And, and we've had that. So we're, we're really excited about it. Megan, I love that you all started this, you know, what, seven years ago um, and really thinking about the future. We, we get so caught up in the day to day and how do we manage in the moment? Just brilliant that you were thinking that far ahead and really planning for that and looking like it's paying off really well for you. Well, I guess I have just a final question about the current reality on Capitol Hill in the spring of 2022. Is breakfast back in D.C.? And what's the ground truth about return to normal and government relations? 
You know, that's something that I think is is a fascinating question. And I think that we'll probably, you know, like the seven years in a few years, we'll be able to look back and, you know, we'll, we'll be telling people, oh, remember when there used to be a breakfast every day and a dinner every day and you were gone for, you know, I think those days are gone. But I do think, I mean, NEHB was more progressive in coming back. We were probably one of the first associations back in the office and we never, we never kind of let up in that area. And probably because of the industry, our members were back and they wanted to see the team back in the office. But I think there's an interesting, there's probably two sides of it where I think there's folks like I personally would rather go to a breakfast in person than get on a Zoom breakfast at my desk because then I'm going to try to multitask, right? I'm never going to be fully engaged in the Zoom. I'm going to look at my to-do list. Whereas if you go to something, your your to-do list is, is waiting for you at the office, but you're engaged with the people in front of you. But I think there's a decent amount of people that are still working from home and don't want to have to come into the city or want to consolidate their days. So I think breakfast is back for the folks that really want to be in person. But I think that there's going to have to be some creative ways of engaging everybody because I don't think everybody everybody wants that long those long days that there used to be. So it'll be really interesting to see. I think there is an appetite for it, but I'm no pun intended. But that there's not a, a necessarily a huge rush to get back to those long days of breakfast, lunch, and dinner on the Hill. So it'll be, time will tell, but it'll be interesting. Megan Evergam, Vice President, BuildPAC, Government Affairs at the National Association of Builders. Thank you for joining us on the podcast and just so great to have you with us. Thanks. It's been great to be with you guys. And thanks to everyone downloading and sharing the show. Subscribe and meet us right back here on the Facts About Packs podcast.